Welcome to Silicon Valley Momentum, where advisor and author Roland Siebeling talks all things tech startups and brings you interviews with founders across the world. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to the Silicon Valley Momentum podcast. My name is Roland Siebeling, and I'm a scale-up ally for tech founders. And I'm honored today to have as our special guest, Warren Schaefer, who's the co-founder and CEO of Knowable. Hello, Warren. Hello, Roland. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. The honor is entirely mine. What does Knowable do and who do you uh, make a difference for in the world in what way? Knowable launched less than a year ago. We're an audio first learning platform and we make it easy for people to learn actionable insights from experts at the top of their fields in an audio first way. So I started the company primarily to solve a personal problem, which was I wanted to keep learning. I wanted to hear from the greatest minds but I didn't have time for long video courses. Mm -hmm. And audio allows someone to listen and learn as they move through the world. So I like using Knowable and many of our members like using Knowable when they go for a walk or a run or doing dishes and don't have time to to stare at a screen or uh, read a physical book. Oh, that's amazing. amazing. And uh, we have in this field, of course, a lot of alternatives, right? So I'm guessing podcasts, I'm guessing audio books. So what makes Knowable better suited for people to learn from than those uh, alternatives that abound? A key word that differentiates Knowable is actionability. So we really focus on this idea of what can we convey in an audio course or an audio lesson that will help someone not just learn something new, but actually go and take action in the world. Because mm-hmm. in my opinion, that's the, one of the best ways to actually learn is to go do it and then to eventually teach it. So uh, knowable lessons and an audio curriculum is designed in such a way to instill as many insights per minute as possible, while also being listenable like a podcast. So in many ways, we combine the best of podcasts and the best of audiobooks, and we add to it using e-learning best practices as well to create a more didactic and uh, pedagogically sound experience. Excellent. Well, uh, I know that many of our listeners are leaders and therefore they should also be readers, right? So can you give an example of how a product like Knowable would let them learn a lot more, maybe in the context of uh, business book, management learning, things like that? Absolutely. We have a lot of courses focused for entrepreneurs and leaders. Uh, One of them is launch a startup, and that's led by Alexis Ohanian, who's the co-founder of Reddit and is a partner at Initialized Capital. And uh, he brings in other founders and investors, and that's really an A to Z guide of how do you take an idea on the whiteboard to a seat at the boardroom. And uh, really, you know, the difference from something like how I built this versus a, a noble course on launching a startup is there's a lot of brass tacks, a lot of detail about how do I find a co-founder? How do I negotiate with a law firm? How do I validate my idea quickly? What shouldn't I do, right? So a little bit less gloss and a little bit more and a lot more actionability. You said it was started about a year ago, Warren. So the best startups I feel are the ones where a founder is trying to scratch their own itch in a way, right? So how did you turn that itch into this idea and into a company and how fast did that go? My co-founder and I have actually worked together on two previous businesses and mm-hmm. we wanted to do something together again. So we, we did start with this idea of, okay, let's go do a company and mm-hmm. we really boiled the ocean of all these ideas. We had, you know, a hundred plus ideas that probably all seem pretty good on paper, right? You know, we yeah. blockchain and face <laughs> masks and the whole gamut. And then we realized that if we were going to do something again together, it was so important to really start with the mission and the vision first. And Mm -hmm. 
because that's what sustains you over the ups and downs of, of entrepreneurship, in, in my opinion. And uh, the education space and learning was the area where we thought we could have the biggest and most positive impact. Uh, I'm a first generation American. I've seen firsthand how a great teacher can change the trajectory of somebody's life. Um, I've been grateful to the, to the people who have given me mentorship. And I think making that more accessible to more people, right? Unlocking knowledge, unlocking insider knowledge, especially is something that can be transformational for the world. So the question that comes immediately to mind here is um, how do you display that value that you provide over podcasts and audiobooks, right? So I guess that comes very closely to these packages, uh, prices, questions about packaging and pricing, as you said. So how do you uh, convey that value to people and how do you get them to pony up for that subscription fee? Honestly, we're still working on it. You know, I think uh, the people who we get to try it, they, they see the value. I think it is it is a challenge. It's, it's our biggest challenge right now is how do we get more mm-hmm. top of funnel awareness? Um, because generally, we have a really great conversion from somebody listening to a first lesson and becoming a member. But what we haven't figured out super well is what's the best way to get a lot of people to listen? And so we're still in that experimental phase. So this is not your first rodeo, Warren. So to come back to you, how has that been a logic that you've seen in some of your previous businesses that you and your co-founder uh, ran before? So Alex and I previously ran a company called VidMe. And Mm -hmm. the beauty of VidMe was that we baked virality into the DNA of the product. Mm And what what we started with was the world's simplest way to publish a video. We launched in 2014. And at the time, YouTube was effectively the only place where you could publish a video. Mm -hmm. And yet it required you to sign in. And at the time, Google was pushing Google Plus. So, you know, if you wanted to share your silly cat video with just a few friends, you had to go and publish it to all of YouTube and all of your Google Plus circle. And then there was all of this cognitive overhead versus just publishing it and sending it. I don't know if you remember, Roland, but you would try to text a video in 2014 and you would just see the progress bar stuck at about 20%. I do uh, remember that, yes. So, so we <laughs> it told me never to share videos ever again. <laughs> So we dramatically simplified it and video is inherently viral. And so when someone makes a video, they, they usually make it in order to share with someone else. And uh, everyone who got received a video that was hosted on VidMe saw that it was hosted on VidMe and, and that helped us convert more video creators and, and so on. And we, we scaled that to over 25 million monthly users. So, and with no paid marketing. Knowable is a different product. We, mm-hmm. are, we are charging up front. We believe that part of our lesson learned from, from VidMe was that when you have an advertiser supported model, your customer ends up becoming your adver- advertisers rather than yep. the end user. And we think that creates a lot of perverse incentives. And, and I think we're seeing many of those play out in, in social media today, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it was important to us to have a product where we felt like we were offering more value to the end user in exchange for, for money given to us rather than introducing a third party, which creates perverse incentives. So, you know, your go-to-market, of course, is not only customers, because when you think about this, as I hear it, this is really a bit of a, a two-sided platform where you also have to attract content producers. And so you must have fought a little bit with the chicken and an egg problem as well there. So how did you guys solve that? That's right. Yeah, we do think of it as a marketplace uh, with, with passionate and enthusiastic teachers on one side and eager learners on the other side. And we started with the supply side first and and really mm-hmm. uh, we raised funding pre-launch in order to build up the library and 
we initially sold courses on an a la carte basis um, to validate mm -hmm. that people would actually even pay for an audio course and audio yep. audio lessons. And we, mm -hmm. we successfully validated that hypothesis and uh, built kind of stayed focused on supply side, I'd say post 12 months. And then once the library was big enough, we launched subscription two months ago. And in many ways, we feel like that's the actual launch of the company because right. that's the product that we, that we want. Our, our vision is a world where daily actionable learning is as commonplace as taking a shower every day. I like that vision very much. Uh, so what's the business model there? You said you were you were paying those content producers in order to get access to their content? In many cases, we would uh, pay a flat fee. And some, in certain cases, we've done a rev share model. So creators mm. are incentivized, and that is part of our go-to-market strategy where creators are actually out there promoting their own courses too. So actually today we uh, launched a course with the Upright Citizens Brigade. They're the premier okay. teachers of improv comedy. Uh, an improv theater, which is also a skill that's extremely valuable in, in the business world, too. I think we're all mm -hmm. improvising in many ways as we go through life. And they, because they have a revenue share component to, to our partnership, they're also out promoting the course to their existing audience. Awesome. Okay, so that could indeed be a genius way to break through a bit of that go-to-market problem, right? It's uh, really good that you guys are uh, investigating, even improvising there, as we may say. Uh, that's awesome. So how should we think about the traction that Knowable has seen so far? And, you know, only share numbers that you're you're comfortable sharing, of course, but do you look particularly at active users or just the subscriptions sold and, and how far have you guys come so far? We look at a lot of numbers. We look at signups um, and that's when somebody creates an account to go and listen to, to some more than one free lesson. Um, obviously, we look at subscribers and average order value. We're North of 25,000 signups where um, our conversion rate is about 10% from sign up mm -hmm. to, to members so far. So I, I think the numbers are still small, but the growth mm -hmm. that we're seeing is, is really exciting post subscription launch over the past two months. But I, I'll be very candid, which is that our goal for to end this year was 10,000 paid customers and, and we're far short of that. Mm -hmm. And that means that we are having to make some decisions and it's a, uh, you know, it's part of the, the challenges of being a founder. It is, absolutely. And thank you for being so open about that, Warren, because, you know, too many podcasts, whether this or many others, are only about all the positive side. And I think that's not always fair, right? Like then people think that they're doing something wrong when they are facing big headwinds as a founder, whereas, I don't know, but my reality has always been that you face big headwinds 99% of the time. So that's the real reality out there, right? <laughs> That's right. I actually, after listening to a Noble course, I listened to Scott Kelly's Noble course, where he talks about leaders being open to admitting mistakes. And, and the mm -hmm. best leaders admit that they're not perfect and are vulnerable. And I actually think that vulnerability is the highest state of confidence and the, the fastest way to learn. And, and I have actually started recently posting some live journals on Twitter, where I'll share both the highs and lows of being a founder. And I do that in the interest of sharing knowledge and also I find it very effective for me to distill my thoughts and get public feedback. And the hashtag I've started to use for that is, is hashtag founder in public, because I think it's very easy to build in public when things are going well, but I think it's actually a lot harder when, and in fact, probably pretty terrifying when things are not going according to plan, which they rarely do in the startup world. So in terms of the 10,000 uh, paid customers you were going for and that you'll get to, have you got a very specific target group in mind or is this more of a let's just see where it sticks? That's a great question. And, and the reality is, is that we, in retrospect, 
scale the library horizontally faster than we should have versus mm -hmm. focusing on our core early adopter user, which is a founder, a builder, someone who's taking who's taking a course because they're looking to earn more money mm. as a short as a shorthand heuristic. So we, you know, we, we invested in courses like how to sleep better, which is a, an amazing course, right? Mm -hmm. With the uh, leading sleep doctors from Oxford and Stanford. Um, but the reality is, is that few people are willing to convert to a paid customer for that course. Versus mm. a, it's, it's a less of a, it's more of a vitamin than a, than a painkiller. Yes. Um, and, and so our big learning in, in doing our retrospective uh, this year, or at the end of this year, is that we actually should be doubling down on our core demo, which is our people who are interested in, in business uh, knowledge. So 2021 will be about us going deeper in that category, since that's where we're seeing the most signal and, and we think will allow us to add even more value to our customer when we, when we narrow in the focus of who our customer is beyond just general learners. You mentioned this concept of vitamin and painkiller, uh, well known here in Silicon Valley, but for those uh, listeners that haven't heard about that yet, can you explain a little bit, maybe also with context of your previous businesses, how you think of a vitamin versus a painkiller as a product? Sure. I'm sure there's somebody who's done an excellent pithy summary of this. It, it's pretty straightforward in terms of a vitamin is something that you should take, but few people do versus mm -hmm. basically the fallacy in humans is that we're very bad at preventative care. Mm -hmm. We're very eager to pay for care post mistake. So like, <laughs> you're hungover, you take Tylenol, you pay for Tylenol. Very few people are, are thinking about, you know, taking the course that teaches them to not get too drunk to the point of being hungover. Right. So, Long-winded way of saying, unfortunately, people don't always pay for what's good for them. But to be clear, right. well, our, our goal is to provide both. And, and we think the subscription model lends itself really nicely to the combination of the two. But mm -hmm. what we found is from a conversion perspective, people will, will pay for a painkiller more easily than they will a vitamin. And uh, what we found though, from a retention perspective is that, okay, I might come in to take this great sales course or this great management course, but then I see this course on improv comedy and you know what, I start listening to that and it's extremely engaging and interesting and, and happens to also be useful to my career, but not necessarily something that I would have paid for ahead of range. I did want to come back to your co-founder. You said, I think that you had already had two different companies with him, uh, with Alex before. So I get a lot of questions, as you must imagine, from uh, from people like, how can I work better with my co-founder? What's a good co-founder dynamic? Uh, how do I know if I'm doing things wrong? So with all that experience, Warren, what are your comments on that? And, and will Alex like them? Alex and I are both products of previous co-founder divorce. So Alex had a, had a co-founder oh. we parted ways with, and, and I also had a co-founder who I parted ways with. Um, and that, that co-founder for me was my brother. So it was an especially difficult breakup. Oh, that's hard, um, yeah. And, and we met around the time that we were both going through that, that breakup process. I think the reason that Alex and I have been able to work together so well over multiple companies is because we have very complementary skill sets. Um, Alex is a, is a developer and a designer. Um, and, and I'm focused on business and sales. And we also have, I think both of us are, are pretty low ego. I, I think we care more about the outcome than being right. And mm -hmm. I, I feel really fortunate to have met Alex. I, I don't have secret sauce for, for how to be a good co-founder, but I think you know, really trying to focus on the scientific approach to how to come to a solution rather than the ego-driven approach is, is often a, a good recommendation. So can you illustrate a little bit more like around the time I met Alex for the first time, like 
what made you feel that at some point in time you might want to start a company or how did that work and and were you sure from the outset or did this take quite a while to develop yeah it, it took some time for both of us but i think a really good indication was that I, and I, i had this tweet recently where i think notice who and what gives you energy and spend more mm. time there and i noticed and i think alex felt the same that we we gave each other energy we we feed off of each other's energy we feel like we're able to have a lot of high value conversation in short time and mm-hmm. i kind of speak that same language and so and, and share goals i think also the general advice for co-founders is it's it's nice to find somebody who's basically the same age as you and sort of the mm. same life position because as you mature you you kind of hopefully are, are moving through life at the same pace i think can quickly life circumstances can change the relationship externally So uh can we move a little bit to the to the investment side and I'm looking primarily more towards general advice here many founders ask like at what point in time should I seek investment for my business um, and I think that um, you know with your trajectory from before you probably had an opportunity to raise money earlier than other people would right what would be your general advice uh, to founders like what's the optimal time what are some key markers they need to achieve in order to seek investment primarily for the first time. The best time to raise money is when you don't need to raise money. Mhm. The very best thing you can do to optimize your fundraising chances or to not need to fundraise. So that means you have a product that is amazing and it's working and it's growing organically. You already have money in the bank or you're very lean and you don't need a lot of money to operate. Those are all the that's the biggest thing that you can do to put yourself in a great fundraising position. Once you do decide to fundraise, there are definitely things that help the the process. And and I want to take a side note and say that I actually think that fundraising is a misnomer that favors investors. Mhm. Uh, founders, you're not fundraising, you are irrevocably selling a piece of your business, right? So yes. let's change the term. That's what you're saying, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. selling ownership in your business you are not fundraising fundraising is what a PTA person does right? <laughs> like for a charitable cause right they aren't giving you money and not expecting ownership in return so mm-hmm. but but anyway going back to it once you decide that you do want to fundraise a venture funding is is right for your business and it it certainly is not right for every business right it really yeah. is specialty financing investors have incentives that are different than most founders because they're investing over a portfolio rather than a founder who has an individual uh, you know it's very very focused and concentrated bet on the company um but but there are things that you can do i think the very first thing that founders can do to increase their chances of a successful fundraise once they decide to pursue it and i i should stop calling it fundraise um <laughs> is to actually befriend founders who are ahead of them so funded founders who are one or two steps ahead because those funded founders are the ones who will make the introductions that matter the most those funded founders are the ones who will help you navigate who is actually a decision maker at an investment mm-hmm. firm who is not and those funded founders will guide you in terms of optimizing your process and story i think there is a code of ethics among founders to to be supportive of other people who are pursuing an entrepreneurial ambition who are trying to solve problems at scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I've certainly found that founders have been extremely generous with their time and and I try to pay it forward as well. When you do have a choice between different investors, what would you optimize for like who to go with uh because it is ultimately as you say an irrevocable decision, right? So uh, a very important one. How do you make that choice? 
different investors are right for different companies and different founders. So mm -hmm. there isn't one right investor for everyone. So I think understanding what you and what your company needs is first and foremost important. And from there, it goes back to actually talking with other funded founders because they're the ones who will give you the honest, real feedback of what it's like to work with that particular partner. Mm -hmm. And I, I shared recently on Twitter some tips. And the last tip is ask your venture capitalist for, uh, for references and go and talk to the founders who are not listed as references but have been funded. Because right. pretty much every investor is going to be helpful when your company is going well. Mm -hmm. What you want to understand is how will they act when things aren't going well? Because yes. every company at some point goes through challenges mm -hmm. and, and, and that's when it really matters that you have an investor who will be supportive of you and of your company, your vision, uh, even in those downtimes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love those tips. Very good. So we'll get to, to some of the materials that you mentioned and where people can find them. But still, let's uh, end this a little bit on uh, on a positive note as well. So, you know, knowing that you're facing some challenges right now, if you look a little bit further ahead, where would you like Knowable to be maybe three, five years down the road, assuming you can turn the ship around and everything starts going really as good as it could go? Just to be clear, I'm actually more optimistic about our long-term prospects than I've ever been. Excellent. Um, I'd love to hear that. Our, our growth is great. It's just that we had to make some difficult decisions about our burn versus runway. And, yep. and candidly, we let go of some very talented people. And I certainly hope that I will be able to rehire them uh, as our growth continues um, in 2021. But And every founder will have to go through this some point in time. It's not to, not to be avoided in, in many companies, right? So it's a very normal process, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think it reinforces the advice of don't hire ahead of growth. Really, only hire when you when the ship when you're bursting at the seams, and and usually you can you can go farther and faster with fewer people than you than you think you might need. Um, exactly. But it's uh, it's an easy lesson to say and to hear, but a hard one to internalize when things oh. are you know when you're when you're when things are working. It's there's there's the impulse to, to hire more people, and I think that's an urge that founders are wise to resist. That's the truth, truth, absolutely. Okay, so um, optimistic about the future. So let's hear it. Where do you want to be? Noble, our, our vision, again, the long-term vision that, that we're working towards, the why of the company is we want to make lifelong learning effectively as addictive as social media. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and how we're doing that is we're, we're empowering some of the world's greatest teachers and thinkers to share their knowledge and share their actionable and insider knowledge with knowable members. And we are making the experience social. And uh, I believe that we, you know, we our, our curriculum will change, hopefully, at least 100 million lives. Now you're talking. I was looking for that number. That's amazing. <laughs> 100 million lives changed. I also like that you set goal as a non-monetary goal, as more of an impact goal. Have you done that with your previous businesses too? No, this this was really the most thoughtful we've been. I think the previous business we were really coming at it from that mindset of just testing and learning, and and this one is is more of a north star based enterprise. Very good, thank you. That's really uh, really inspiring. I love it. So yeah, what other tips would you have for founders that are a little bit behind you in their journey that may be uh, going through some difficulties of their own as well? Uh, what are some some general points of advice you would give to any founder who's uh, who's looking to emulate your journey? At the risk of sounding repetitive, I think it's so valuable to have <laughs> peers and uh, 
that's people who are starting companies at the same stage as you, but also people who are ahead of you one or two steps. Because those, there, I recently came across this great quote, which is, you can only really gain knowledge through experience, but that experience doesn't necessarily have to be yours. So learn uh, yep. from the experiences of others who have come before you, and you will go farther than they have. Standing on the shoulders of giants is uh, one of the one of the quotes that uh, seems to point to the same concept there as well, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, very good. Awesome. So uh, you mentioned many resources and uh, a lot of the stuff that you share, I believe, on Twitter. So where can people go to to find all those resources? What should they go look up, and how can they help Knowable succeed? even more. You can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at WWShafe, S-H-A-E-F. And I am sharing uh, any lessons learned there. And obviously I am a fan and recommend Knowable. You can find us at knowable.fyi. Um, many mm -hmm. courses are, are free. We have some free courses. You can listen to a lot of courses for free to start. And my sincere hope is that you find something that can change your life for the better on Knowable. All right, excellent. Go and change your lives. Go to knowable.fyi, sign up for the free courses and then convert to a paid plan even faster. So that's awesome. Thank you, Warren Schaefer, a co-founder and CEO of Knowable for joining this Silicon Valley Momentum podcast. This was an amazing interview and thank you for showing uh, that not always is always, not everything is always uh, roses and moonshine in the founder business. I think that's a very honest approach and I really appreciate you for it. Thank you for having me, Roland. I really enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. And for all the listeners, thank you again for listening and we'll have a new episode for you next week. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more tech news and interviews with some of the brightest minds in tech today.